Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. Well, good morning, Ascent. So good to see you guys. Yes. Thank you for not sleeping in. Uh, I thought I might sleep in. I thought, oh, no, I got to work today. I've got to go. Got to go do this thing. So. Uh, I'm super excited to be here. We are in part three of our series called It's Complicated. It's a series on relationships. And uh, last week we looked at dealing with complicated people, the kind of people that God calls us to love. Uh, but they're complicated. It's the, the hurting people, the needy people, the immature people in our lives. And if you didn't listen to that sermon, I'd encourage you to go back on our podcast and listen to it. It is free. Some people say you get what you pay for. Uh, but I think it'll help you understand that was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> you guys didn't laugh. That kind of hurt a little bit. Uh, I, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that one in part one of our series. But today on Labor Day, I want to I want to cover, I think, the number one thing that keeps us from healthy relationships. Uh, For there to be a healthy relationship, whether it be your marriage or a a close friendship, there has to be a degree of connection. There has to be a degree of openness. There has to be me, and I don't do this with everybody, but there has to be some people in my life where I can take my mask off. You can see my warts, you can see my blemishes, and I don't get judgment from you, but I get grace from you. And it's that grace that is healing to us, and yet so many of us avoid doing that. And I think the reason we avoid doing it is this one word, and that word is shame. Uh, Brene Brown is uh, a famous author. She talks a lot about shame, and she says this. She says, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. And I'm the guy with the microphone standing up here on the stage and I can often tell you, I feel that way. <laughs> I, I, I look at the, the things that I've done, the things that I've failed to do, and oftentimes the only thing I can describe it as is, is shame. It's shame. And what I want to do with my shame is what you want to do with your shame. And I want to hide it. And yet, the answer to our shame, and this is why we celebrate, this is why we come here every Sunday, this is why we call the gospel good news. Because the answer to that shame is found in Jesus Christ. And as we come into Labor Day, we celebrate a day where we're supposed to cease from working. Now, I've talked to some of you about your plans on Labor Day, and you're just going to do more work at your house, uh, which is really not the the idea of Labor Day. But uh, as we think about Labor Day and what it's supposed to be, it's a day in which we cease from our striving. And the Christian life is supposed to be an eternal Labor Day. It's supposed to be, Jesus already did everything for me. There's nothing I have to do for myself. On the cross, Jesus cries out, it is finished. Not, it is finished. Now, Blake, try really hard. No, it is finished. And if I live from that place, then healthy relational connection is possible. And here in just a moment, I'm going I'm to show you a video. It's about a 10-minute video. And it's a video that is, uh, it's, it's an older video. And it's a video that I saw at a perfect time in my life when I was kind of overwhelmed with shame. Uh, there was a, a pastor in my life uh, before we planted Ascent. And he said, Blake, do you believe the gospel? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm about to plan a church. Of course I believe the gospel. You know what are you saying? He said, you, you, you know, you, you believe Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. Yes, I believe that. He said, you believe that there's nothing to prove anymore because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. Yeah, I believe that. You believe you can take off the mask because you are confident in what Christ Jesus has done for you. And it doesn't matter what people think of you. Yes, I believe that. 
And then he said this. He said, well, then why don't you live like you believe it? It's like a dagger through my heart. Because it's one thing for me to theologically believe that Jesus has made me whole, that Jesus has paid for my sin and shame. It's a whole nother thing to live like I believe it. And Jesus in his gospels, he he doesn't say, hey, believe things theologically. He says, live like you believe these things. In fact, there's this parable in which Jesus compares a wise man and a foolish man. He says the wise man comes and he builds his house on the rock. And then there's the foolish man who comes and he builds his house on the sand. And the houses look the same until the storm comes. And when the storm comes, the man who built his house on the rock still has his house after the storm. The man who built his house on the sand has no house any longer. Jesus says, those who practice what I say, those who practice are like the man who built his house on the rock. See, it's not enough for me to say, hey, I I believe Jesus theologically. It's when everything begins to crash in my life, when I am up against what the world says to run away from, and I'm supposed to go with Jesus, do I believe, do I actually believe what he says enough to practice what he says? So that's where we're going today. We're going to talk about Jesus and his gospel and how it cures us of our shame. But before we jump into the video, which I'm going to show you in just a moment, I want to give a couple quick announcements. Uh, number one is this. I want to thank you guys for being generous. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we took up an offering for those in Haiti and Afghanistan, and uh, we were able to send over $600, which is really cool. Yeah. I'm glad for that. Yeah. $600 to both Haiti and to Afghanistan, which is, is really cool. And uh, the, the one in Haiti is helping a lot with the, the recovery there uh, because of the earthquake. Over 1,900 people have died, and uh, then they got hit by a tropical storm, and their president got assassinated. So whenever you think our country is, is rough, it could always be worse. And uh, so we're loving on those people. And then we have a partner in Afghanistan who's helping some of the refugees and, and doing some other stuff that I can't really talk about just because of the, the security of where they are. Uh, but uh, I want to thank you guys for being generous because here in Little Road, Oklahoma, our, our little small church is, is truly making a difference. And if you want to change the world, you got to start with yourself. We've got to start with what we can do. We can't do everything, but we can do what we can do. And so I want to thank you guys for that. Uh, number two, next week, uh, I'm going to invite you to join me in a fast. So uh, every January at Ascent, what we've done since before we began, uh, is we take 21 days to pray and fast. Uh, And fasting is simply giving up something so that we can seek the Lord. So uh, it might be food or it might be Diet Coke. Like I showed up this morning. I don't know who brought me this, but God bless you. This is a liter of God's nectar. I think they might think that this is going to last for a week, but I'm like a wolf. If I see it, I eat it. You know, and that's how I am with Diet Coke. This will this will be gone by this afternoon. Um, and so if you're like me, sometimes fasting is simply giving up something like Diet Coke, which you rely on way too much <laughs> so that you can now rely upon the Lord. But uh, we've never really done a fast in the fall, but I felt led to do one this year. And it's just a seven day fast. And I'm going to ask you to fast from something very specific. I'm calling it a soul fast because I'm going to ask you, and this is crazy. Now you guys, most of you probably aren't going to do this. This is I'm just going to blow your mind. I'm asking you to fast from media. That includes you're clapping. Yes. Woo! Some of you are like, no, what does that mean? That means take seven days. Look, the world's not going to melt. I promise. You're not going to miss anything too big. Seven days from the news and seven days from Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat. I don't even know what other ones the kids got these days. All of the medias take seven days. And fast from them, delete them from your phone, and just take a soul break because it is driving you all insane, and myself included. 
I, I, I look at the news and I, I feel awful about my life. Uh, it's like it's 8 o'clock in the morning and I, I'm, I'm already feeling terrible. So what I want us to do is take seven days. You say, Blake, what do I do with the rest of the time? Oh, great question. Because most of you, this is just statistically speaking, spend about five hours a day on Facebook. Here's what you do with those other five hours. You pray. You seek the Lord. You, you fill your time with Scripture. And then after those seven days, you might just decide... Maybe I need a little bit more of this in my life. I don't know. You might not. But for seven days, I want to encourage you to join me on the, seven, on the soul fast. And that's going to start next week, which also happens to be our second birthday as a synth. We're going to celebrate. Yes. Lots of clapping. We're going to celebrate. It's going to be awesome. We're going to, I got inflatables coming for the backyard. We're going to cook out. Uh, it's going to be awesome. And as I've told you guys, it's a great opportunity to invite your friends who uh, aren't a part of a church. Just tell them you're coming to a birthday party. Let them figure the rest out later. Uh, it'll be awesome. So uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then I, I want to show you this video. Uh, and then I'll, I'll come back, and I'll talk just a little bit uh, about what our lives would look like if we actually believe the gospel. Jesus, we need rest. God, we need a rest that only you can provide. Lord, going to the lake one day or sleeping in one day is not the kind of rest that we need. The kind of rest we need is an eternal rest, a rest in which we feel secure in who we are. We feel worthy and loved because of the way you've loved us. God, in 1 John, you tell us that we love as Christians because we've been loved. And yet some of us haven't experienced that love. We struggle to love ourselves, and therefore we can't love others. Jesus, I pray today as we talk about your gospel and the work you've done for us, that you would change something in the nature of our hearts so that we might leave this place feeling loved at our core. Jesus, I love you and I praise you. Amen. Can you imagine how different life would look if we knew deep in the depths of our soul that there was nothing we could do to make God love us less? I love that video because it puts it in perspective to me, uh, the love of a father uh, for a son. For me, a lot of times I thought of God more of kind of like a boss, like a master, uh, which he is. He's our master for sure. Uh, but when I, when, I, when I don't do my job, my master gets mad at me. When I don't do my job, I incur wrath upon myself. But when it's my father, my father's here today. When it's my father, there's something different uh, about when I get in trouble. <laughs> There, there is times in which you've got to get in trouble from your dad, but there, there's something deep about the sense that you know you're loved, that it's still my dad, and I'm still his son, and there's nothing that could ever change that, and that love will not be lost because of what I've done. And when, when I do have to incur discipline, it's not because my dad hates me, it's because my dad loves me. It's because my dad wants what's best for me. In the gospel of Jesus, we, we get the confidence that this is true for us. You say, Blake, how can I be sure? Because here's the thing I know about you, because I know it about me. We've all got a list. We've got a list of the, of the white ball, <laughs> of things that we are ashamed of, of things I don't want to tell you, and you don't want to tell me. You know, on, on, on my list, there's, there's lying, there's cheating, there's stealing, there's objectifying. There's things on here that if you saw my list, you might not want me to be your pastor anymore. And that's just being really, really honest. I try to think back about like the, the first time that I incurred shame, the thing that would be at the top of, of my list. And uh, I thought of, uh, I think it was like the fifth grade. I'm sure there's more things. You can probably ask my parents and find, <laughs> find more stories. But it was, it was about the fifth grade, and there was this kid in my class uh, who was, um, he, he didn't have all the same advantages that I had in life. He, uh, he had a hard home life. 
Uh, he didn't smell the best always. His hygiene wasn't where it should be. And uh, I just remember feeling, I now see it as the Spirit of God, but I'm I, I feeling sorry for him, feeling like I needed to love him in some way. And uh, I just, I remember I would kind of gravitate towards him and I helped him and, and I was friends with him. And, uh, and, and then one day, my, my group of cool friends came. And this other friend came and he tried to, to hang out with me, acted like he knew me because he did. And I pretended like I didn't know him. Shame. Like that's something I, even now, years later, as a grown man, I don't like telling you. And we've all got things like that on our list. I've added things this week to my list. Last night to my list. We had a massive spire in our house, which is, is from Satan. And I, I stand up here and tell you, I said words that are not healthy words to say. It started in my mind, but when the thing reared up, I said words out loud that I shouldn't have said. My wife said, watch your language. And I said, it's a spider. <laughs> like, like that was some kind of justification for it. Uh, I, I've got these things I don't want you to see. And you've got a list too. Uh, there's a, a funny story about a playwright uh, in England. And he, uh, he, he sent this prank to the 20 most influential men in his community. And uh, the prank was simple. He, he sent him a letter. And the letter just said this. It says, we all know what you've done, and if I were you, I would get out of town fast. All 20 men were gone by the end of the week. Because <laughs> we've all got a list. We've all got things we don't want people to know about. And see, Jesus comes to take care of our list. Because if we don't let Jesus take care of our list, here's what we do with it. We either hide it, or we get another list. And on this other list, we begin to do the things that we think will make us okay. I'm a pastor. You know, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I give money. I know the right theological things. Or I help the needy. I feed the poor. We begin to kind of fill out this list so that hopefully our good list outweighs our bad list and we can be counted as worthy. We can be counted as right. But here's what I know and here's what you know. We can never do enough things to remove the stain of guilt we have on our souls. We can never do enough things to feel like the debt of our evil is paid for in full. And so what God does is early in his community, in the Old Testament, if you read, uh, there's a lot of sacrificing of animals. And you're like, what's going on here? And what's going on here is God is pointing forward to what's going to happen in the future. It's something called atonement, which is a, a big church word uh, that you maybe have heard. But atonement simply means at one mint. So it, it's a way in which we can be at one with God. We've separated ourselves from God because of our sin, because of our list. But because of God's goodness, he makes a way for us to be back with him. We've been separated from life and love at its source, which is what God is. And yet, because of what God has done, he's made a way for us to come back with him. God loves us. And what, what, what would happen is if I were a priest and we were Jewish people, uh, you would come and you'd bring me a goat. And uh, I would take my list and I would lay my hands on the goat. This is what they did. They laid their hands on the goat. And that was a transferring of the sin. Like your list is now on the goat. And, and Jen would come up and she'd bring me her list. And I'd say, oh my gosh, you did this. Okay, whatever. And, and I put my hand on the goat and all, all the sins would be there. And then you know what would happen at that point? I would slice the throat of the goat. Which is to say that the sin has been fully paid for. That God took my list and he said, it's on this goat and now it's done. Which you're like, man, that's animal cruelty. Uh, you know, like Peter would not approve of the, of the sacrifices that happened in the Old Testament. But here's what I love about it. It, it. it is such a vivid picture 
of what God has done. Like, you don't leave that place wondering if you're forgiven or not, do you? Like, you know, I, saw, I saw the goat squeal. I saw the blood. It's clear that I am forgiven. It was shown to me. And then uh, the biggest Jewish holiday still to this day, if you have a, a practicing uh, friend who is Jewish, the biggest day of the year is Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, the priest would take the sins of the community. He'd say, here's the list of everybody, and we put it on this goat. And what they would do with the goat is they wouldn't actually kill the goat. They would take the goat to the edge of the city and they would make the goat go out into the desert where the evil spirits were. In other words, what the priest would say is we're going to take all of our sin, we're going to take it all out, and we're going to put it where it belongs, to the land of Satan. We're going to kick our sin out of here, which is an awesome picture. Can you imagine coming, feeling the weight of your sin, and then seeing your sin walk away off into the desert? Gone. Pure. Clean. But you see, this was never enough because it had to happen over and over and over again. You could never have security in your forgiveness. You had to bring a goat again. You had to go have another day of atonement. And the Bible says all of this wasn't even actually supposed to be the forgiveness of sin. It was just to show us what would happen. Because the ultimate lamb, Jesus Christ, would come one day to take care of our list. See, Jesus comes... And uh, some people, i got to address this, because some people will say, isn't this kind of like divine child abuse? You know, God would have to take it out on his son so that I could be forgiven. Which to say that is to really miss the point of the Trinity, which is this, that, that God is three in one. Now, we believe in one God, yes, but, but they're three distinct beings. They're in perfect union with each other. So it's not like God saying, son, you've got to go down there and pay for their sins. It's, it's God coming to full accordance. We want to go pay for their sins. This is what we must do so that we can have relationship with our people. And the reason God takes sin so seriously is because sin kills you and it hurts other people. And you know it, right? Like sin is fun while it's happening, but it's not so fun when it takes over. You know, sin is is kind of funny and it's a good time for a while, but we've all seen people who it becomes sad, right? Like it was a joke for a while, but, but now it's sad. The sin has him. It's enslaved him. And sin simply means to miss the mark. It's a little bit off of what is the best for you. And sin hurts other people. I mean, when I lie and I cheat and I steal, you know how I'm hurting? I'm hurting you. And God loves you. And it's like people say, how could God have wrath? Well, you've got to think about the Father heart of God. How would you feel if somebody lied and cheated and stole from your kids? If somebody beat and raped and abused your kids? That probably raised a little bit of anger in your heart just hearing me say that. And this is the way God feels about us. But the coolest verse in all the Bible is John 3.17. 3.16 gets all the press. 3.17 is really my favorite because it's mind-blowing. It says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. That when God comes in flesh, takes on a human body, He doesn't come to condemn me, to say, Blake, look at your list. This is pathetic. Judgment is coming for you. But He comes to say, give me your list. Let me take your list. What Jesus does is he lives the perfectly pure life. Not one sin. He fulfills all 600 plus commands in the Old Testament. He's the only one who deserves eternal life. And he lays down that privilege so that I might have it. He dies a brutal, brutal death. In fact, uh, crucifixion is outlawed in most countries now because of how brutal it is. It was public and it was disgusting. Uh, But what they would do actually even before 
crucifixion as they would flog the person. And it wasn't uncommon for the person to die in the flogging. Uh, they, they would put uh, hooks on ropes and glass and they would whip into a person. And it, was, it really wasn't uncommon for one of those hooks to grab into a person's rib and to pull the person's rib out. Violent abuse that our Savior underwent. And then he went to the cross. And the cross, what makes the cross such a terrible, terrible punishment is that it inflicts as much pain as possible for as long as possible. And it wasn't uncommon for people to live three to four days on the cross. And then they would put the cross in a public place so that people would go. It'd be kind of like if um, you were going to the grocery store and publicly we were putting people on a cross there to see their punishment so that you could see the punishment that they were getting. And then uh, the, the, the people who were kind of the lowlifes of the community would sit there and mock the people on the cross. Sat there and spit on them and laugh at them. And uh, they even found out the Romans put a little seat on the cross uh, right under, under the, the person's rear so that they couldn't go all the way down because what people wanted to do is they would just give up. Because if they went down, then they would finally suffocate and die. So the Romans, being the terrible people they were, put, put a, a seat there so that the person could only go down so far. This was designed to make the punishment last as po- long as possible. Friends, if you want to know what shame looks like, it's Jesus on the cross. <laughs> Bloody, naked, spit upon in public. In fact, the, the Bible tells us that Jesus was marred beyond recognition. Which, I don't know if you guys have ever seen somebody you love who has died. Um, God forbid, uh, maybe they had some kind of ravaged disease that took them over. And by the end of their life, they didn't even look like the same person. I've been to funerals where, you know, I see the slideshow and then you look at the person in the casket and it's like, wow, that disease has changed them. Or, um, you know, it's, it's like a tragic car wreck or something like that, which, you know, the person is, you know, it's the person, but it's not even them. It doesn't even look like them. This was Jesus. Crown of thorns placed upon his head, blood dripping down. And if this is heavy, it's supposed to be. <laughs> it's like, wow, it's kind of fun for a while. And now it's not fun anymore, Blake. But this all happened for a reason. You see, why, why was this so ugly? And really, what was the ugliest part of it wasn't Jesus' physical appearance. It was his spiritual appearance. The physical was to match the spiritual. Because what Jesus did is 2,000 years before Blake Farley was ever even born, the Bible says he became sin. Which this is, this is really hard to believe theologically. It's called the Great Exchange. Which means in that moment, Jesus exchanged my filth for his righteousness. I get what he lived and he took what I live. And in that moment, Jesus took my list and he took your 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 list. He took the list of the people who were spitting in his face at that moment upon himself. Which is why on the cross, Jesus says this line that is really hard to comprehend with Trinity theology. He says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Which is to say that God the Father had turned his back on the Son. Why? Because God is holy. He can't look upon anything that is not pure. And Jesus in that moment became everything that is impure. This almost sounds sacrilegious when you think about it. Jesus became the adulterer for you. Jesus became the murderer for you. Jesus became all of those nasty things that you're afraid to show for you so that he could die and fully satisfy 
the penalty that you owe. And see, this is good news for me, and this is good news for you. Because on the cross, before he lets out his final breath, he says this. He says, it is finished. (laughs) Like, you don't need that other list. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody or to me anymore. If you, if you want to be a pastor, that's great, but you're not, you're not doing it to prove anything to me. And in, in your life, you can do all of these good things, but they, they, you don't have to do those to prove anything to me because my wrath has been fully satisfied. And the Bible says those of us who have faith in that, which simply means I believe that it counts for me. I believe it so much that I live like I believe it is true. That we are forgiven. This is radical grace. You say, Blake, yeah, but, but you don't know what's all on my list. I, I know. I know. But it doesn't matter. Because the Father God has come not to condemn, but to save you. So just really quickly in our relationships, what I want to do is just talk about three things I think would be true if we believed that in our relationships. I think it would, it would radically change our marriages. It would radically change our friendships if we believed what I just said was true. That Jesus did that for my sin. Not, not only the sin I have committed, but the sin I will commit, which is really hard for me to wrap my head around. Number one, I, I think we would be a lot more forgiving people, don't you? <laughs> like there, there's this parable in, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew where uh, Jesus talks about this rich guy. He's super wealthy. And this, this poor guy comes and he owes this rich guy a huge, massive debt. Like in our, in our money, it'd be like a, a million dollar debt. Uh, and this guy couldn't pay it. He deserved to go to jail. He deserved to pay his debt. And uh, the, the rich guy says, you know what? Your debt has been paid in full. You don't owe anything. And then Jesus says, this guy who just had this massive debt forgiven goes out and there's a guy who owes him 20 bucks. And uh, the guy says, I don't have the money. Um, can I get it to you tomorrow? And basically, I'm paraphrasing. This is the, the Blake Farley translation, by the way. The guy, uh, the, the guy says, no. It says he was a hard man towards him. You were just forgiven a million dollars and now you can't forgive a $20 bill. See, this is how ridiculous we look and we call ourselves Christians and yet we are bitter people. It doesn't make sense. If you've experienced the grace of God, if you've experienced, I mean, truly, you believe that your list has been paid for, not based upon what you did, but based upon what Jesus did, how could I ever hold somebody else in contempt? Be ridiculous. I'd be forgiving. Number two is... Um, I, I would be humble. I'd be humble. Uh, G.K. Chesterton is one of my favorite dead pastors. Uh, I like dead pastors a lot more than alive pastors because they can't mess things up anymore. Uh, like, honestly, you know, I mean, I want you guys to, to love me, but I got a lot of life left. I could really run the thing off the train, uh, train tracks. Uh, but the dead guys, we already know their life. They finished the race. They, they, they did what they did. And uh, so I, I love Charles Spurgeon. I really love G.K. Chesterton. He has like the most amazing quotes. One of my favorite quotes from him is, you don't see a lot of philosophers talking about cheese. I don't know why. I love that quote. That's just, he's got, he got quotes like that for days. Uh, but th- there was a story about a newspaper in his town, which uh, they, they wrote a letter uh, out. It was like an editorial. They wanted answers. They said, what is wrong with the world? Was basically the point of it. Everybody send us submissions, which you think is wrong with the world. And Chesterton writes back. He says, uh, dear friend, in regards to your article about what is wrong with the world, I have two words. I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. See, when I believe the gospel, 
When I believe that, that there's something inherently sinful in me, then I don't judge others, but I see for myself that I am part of the problem. I don't have to prove myself to anybody, and I know humbly that I am part of the problem. But see, what the gospel also does is it makes us very confident people. Because Jesus has made me his son. I did a youth message. Or Lindsay Good actually did a youth message last night, but I kind of finished it up. And one of the things I got to tell the kids, we were talking about anxiety and depression, uh, is that one of the things that helps me the most is when I remember that, that my dad is God. <laughs> that my heavenly father runs the universe. Like I'm grateful for my earthly father, um, but my heavenly father rules everything. And if I believe that, if I believe that, then you can't do anything to me. I'm like the most confident person in the world. If I believe that my dad runs the universe, like my dad is cooler than your dad. Uh, the Bible even says that he's making my enemies and his enemies his footstool, which I know I say this like every week, but that's got to be one of my favorite verses in the book of Hebrews. That is such a cool picture. God's just laying back, relaxing, making my enemies his footstool. See, so when people come to me and they're like, Blake, aren't you concerned about this or that thing going on in the world? No, not really. Aren't you concerned about what that person said to you? No, not, not really. You know why? Because those people just think they're in charge. I know who's really in charge. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the king of the universe. See, I see so many of us living out of fear as if Jesus isn't the one in charge. As if he didn't ascend to heaven after his resurrection and take up a throne. Friends, do, do you live... As if the Republican Party or the Democratic Party is the one who's going to, to rule the world in the way in which will lead us to true life. Let me tell you something. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. Whether you're an elephant or a donkey, it's not going to work out for you. It's just not going to. They both had a lot of opportunities. And look where we are. If that offends you, I'm not sorry. Send, send your offenses to rick at ascentchurch.org. Because Jesus says he is to be the king. You know when this world will have peace? You know when this when you know look, look, you know when everything will be perfect? When Jesus Christ comes back and he establishes his kingdom on this earth. That's it. And, and let me tell you something. There won't be an American flag planted, there won't be a Chinese flag planted, there certainly won't be a Republican or a Democrat flag planted. There will just be one kingdom under one king, and his name will be Jesus. And as Christians, we are to live that way now. We are supposed to be weird. Some of you are weird, but for different reasons. Uh, We're supposed to be weird when people look at our faith. Because we believe that there's one in charge who is greater than what the world can see. See, so I'd be humble, but I'd also be confident. And then the the last thing, and then I'm going to pray. And Kelly, you can go ahead and come up. Uh, I believe that we would have a lot more grace with one another in our relationships. See, because when we feel like we have to prove ourselves, your list means a lot to me. <laughs> like, I got to measure myself up against you, which is why social media is from the devil, by the way. Uh, because, you know, I, I got to keep up with whatever house you bought to prove myself, or I got to keep up with whatever, you know, if you're a Christian, it's I got to keep up with whatever good thing you did. Now, I'm a pastor, and one of the worst things for me to do is look at other pastors. You know, because on Instagram or Facebook, none of us put a picture of empty seats. 
You know, it's not like, it's like, hey, take a picture of the empty seats. I want to put that on social media. Nobody comes here. Uh, no. What I do is, you know, I'm, I'm looking for the pictures where they, they get the right angle so it looks like this place is packed all the time. Right. I, I'm just being honest with you guys. Because I don't, I don't want people to think that it's not a full church. And all my pastor friends do the same thing. I know they do. But there's something in my soul that tells me, man, their church really is full. Well, they really are better than me. They're small groups. Look, man, they're... Their worship leader, sorry, Kelly, is, is better than mine. You know, no, I'm just kidding. Kelly's awesome. Give a hand to Kelly, everybody. And I can begin to compare and compare and compare and compare. But I don't have to do that anymore. And see, what's interesting is if I believe that Jesus has paid for my sins, then I don't have to judge people any longer. And what's interesting for all of us, I think, is we tend to want people to judge us by our intentions but we judge other people by their actions. You know, like, I, I want my wife to judge me by what I intended to do. Last night, I knocked over our clock because uh, I'm, I'm clumsy. It's shattered into a lot of pieces. Uh, and in that moment, I wanted her to judge me by my intentions. Hey, look, I just got big feet. I'm not very athletic. I didn't mean to do it, okay? But I knew everything in her because she's like me, wanted to judge me by what I did. And I've got stories upon stories upon stories where I've done that to people. I want you to judge me by what you intended, but I judge you by what you've done. See, Jesus comes and he flips that on its head. (laughs) I don't have to judge you by what you've done. I honor you because of who you are. I believe the best in you because Jesus believed the best in me. Friends, if we just took that principle alone, can you imagine how different our marriages would look? Can you imagine if we we went off what people intended instead of what they did? This is only possible if we believe what the end of that video I showed you says. And I'm going to read it for you. I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. At the end of the video, he says, May you stop hiding under the covers. May you let God pull the covers back. May you embrace him. May your whole life become a response to the truth that you've always been loved. You are loved, and you always will be loved. And may you know, may you know deep in the depths of your soul that there's nothing you could ever do to make him love you less. Nothing you could ever do to make God love you less. Nothing, nothing you could ever do to make God love you less. Father, may we believe that so deeply that we live like we believe it. God, may your grace transform us as people. God, relationships are complicated, but our relationship with you doesn't have to be. You came and made a way for us. You sought after us. You bore our shame. You took our list upon yourself. Christ, may we worship you for that. And friends, right now, just take about 20 seconds, eyes closed, head bowed, and say, God, what are you saying to me? through this message. Father, may you give us the courage to obey what you've told us to do. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand and worship this amazing God.
Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.